Every organization on the planet is going to have to think about how this experience changed them. It happened to all of us all over the world. That's a lot of opportunity for designers to create new environments and to really think differently about the future. I'm Wanda Lau, executive editor of Architect Magazine. It seemed like only yesterday, everyone was waiting for 2020 to end and solve our problems. The COVID-19 pandemic, social injustice, and economic uncertainty. Now, as we round the end of 2021, we find ourselves facing the same issues. I thought this would be a great time to talk to two experienced leaders well-versed in the business of architecture. In September 2021, the 144-year-old firm, Shepley Bullfinch, appointed a new president and CEO, Angela Watson, FAIA. A longtime firm principal, design leader, and board chair based in Phoenix, Angela replaced Carol Wedge, FAIA, who had led the firm since 2004. Carol, now a principal based in Boston, talked about speaking up in the profession in the Architect Podcast Network, episode 32. Welcome to the Architect Podcast Network, Angela, and welcome back, Carol. So let's start with the basics. The roles of president and CEO do not exist in all firms, particularly in small and medium firms, or even in large firms, which AIA defines as any firm exceeding 50 employees. So what does a CEO do in an architecture and design firm? I think I'm going to quote Carol on this one, <laughs> and um, it's actually something that she introduced me with um, when we were making the leadership change introduction to the firm, and she said, you know, Angela's design project is the firm. <laughs> so it's really, that is the biggest project, and it's, to me, that means shepherding, it's shepherding, it's, it's helping the firm succeed, and the firm really is its people. And so it's very much focused on um, understanding what's going to make people successful, shepherding culture, and especially today, um, in the times we're experiencing, where you know the challenge of of defining, keeping culture alive, and keeping it really vibrant. I think those are really important pieces. And then, of course, it's also really understanding our clients and making sure that our work reflects our clients' needs and brings value to them. The thing I'd add is every firm has a leader, right? Even as a sole practitioner, they're leading a vision of what they want to accomplish. So I think we use all these different terms and maybe make it more complicated than it needs to be. But I think the larger a firm gets, the more you need a kind of strategic vision of where the firm is going at large. And that's, I think, as Angela said, it's, it's sort of the design of that strategy and weaving all the different participants into it. And so interestingly, Angela was chair of our board and led our most recent strategic plan development. And so I think that's sort of a wonderful lead in as, as companies think about, you know, how do you create a transition plan to kind of know what the strategy is and then have the leader that's been part of cooking that strategy and really listening to people, I think is pretty remarkable. But all firms need leadership and need a, a point of view about what the right work to pursue is or the right way to develop people. So. I think we just adopt adopt those terms when we get larger. <laughs> I think every firm has their kind of construct of, of what leadership means. Does being in architecture add any use, unique aspects to the role? Well, not having always been in an architecture firm, it's kind of, I don't know, <laughs> but listening to our outside um, directors our, and our outside board advisors, I think the world outside of architecture is a little bit different. And I've been sort of thinking about this, actually, as I've been, you know, reconciling some of the, the questions I've been getting around that. And I think 
it's really about motivation. It's understanding what motivates architects. Why do we do what we do? Why do people go to architecture school? Why do they work in architecture? What is it that motivates people? And I think that's, I mean, again, back to the role of CEO, it's about you know, the success of the firm, the firm is the people. And so how do you motivate them? And I think architects are very much about the, the work. They're very much about solving problems and being creative and creating solutions that others couldn't think about on their own. It's probably not just architecture, but probably shared with a lot of the design professions. It's understanding what really drives us to do our best work. And at the same time, connecting that to what our clients really need from us. Well, I think it depends, you know, what the firm needs at that time, right? So I think there could be firms that have someone who maybe isn't an architect, but really listens to what architecture can contribute. Going forward, we're going to need even more diverse skill sets than we've needed in the past. And so, you know, I entered Shepley as a young person. It was very architecture centric but you could see that they needed complementary skills to actually run a successful firm. So I think it's that, you know, what's that combination that helps a firm move forward in a really effective way? Our profession, as you say, is evolving and this not being able to do it by yourself and really needing to forge partnerships with others in our general industry is really important. So it's also figuring out how you build bridges to construction partners, to consultants, to academia, how to put all of that together so that you've got a really robust and vibrant set of voices that add to to the work that we do. And that's a new challenge. Are you able to maintain some pulse, the actual project design aspects that you probably, you know, as that you might do so when you're a design principal, for example, or a project director, or do you find yourself immersed in more the executive level decision-making and client building relationships? I, I would say I straddle both. I want to straddle both. Design is where my, that's my, my, my fuel cell. <laughs> design <laughs> is where my energy comes from. But that said, you know, design goes so much beyond just buildings. It goes, it, you know, it goes into thinking about master plans, into thinking about how clients might evolve in the future. And it also goes into, interestingly, organizational design. And so that's something that I've become more and more interested in because, again, it is really about the structure. It's the scaffold that supports the design work that goes on within the firm. And it's constantly changing and constantly evolving, right? It's not a static thing. People aren't static. For me, um, management and design aren't nearly as far apart as one might think. The CEOs that are authentically themselves and are pretty self-aware about what their strengths are and what strengths they need to complement them, I've seen do pretty remarkable things and kind of bring a sense of, vision and possibility to firms. You know, I always felt like when Angela was talking, I was like, we'll finish something that we really worked hard on. And we're like, okay, what's next? You know, and so that appetite for, okay, what's next is something Angela has. Kind of a restless designer can always be better. People that are authentic to themselves really build kind of a team around them. I admire them. Those are people that I learned from and thought of as mentors. And a lot of times your, your sense of leadership is a construct of what you've watched that you thought was really powerful and inspiring and what you've watched that you thought, oh God, why, are, why is that happening? You know, so you learn from the, the sort of, ooh, I wouldn't do it that way. And the, oh my gosh, I wish I could be more like you. People that step into leadership and think they're supposed to be something new or different get a little turned around. The biggest message from, from my experience is you have to really be honest with yourself, but also be really clear about what the ambitions are for the firm and how you're going to get there.
reflecting on this past year, what have been the biggest challenges? And this is a question for both of you since the transition happened in September. What haven't the challenges been? <laughs> we have a pandemic that's turning into an endemic. So this is going to be something we're going to have to deal with for years to come. As part of that, we're, we're really committed to a hybrid working environment and fewer rules are not as easy to manage. There's more learning there. There's more communication required. There's more empathy required. So that's a really, you know, a big challenge. Our leadership transition, that was something that was in the works for some while. We all worked really hard on, on getting it as right as possible, <laughs> knowing that we're all going to be doing learning. And then we have a new board that is actually starting next week. That's bringing in outside directors as well. But the, the really interesting piece around that too is that we're bringing in an employee representative that's elected by the firm that's going to sit on the board. We're doing all a lot of new things right now that are prompted by some of our outside challenges. But it's uh, there's a lot going on. It's like cooking a meal with way too many sides. Every aspect is busy and percolating and bubbling. And the harder challenges are around the urgency around climate change and social justice and making room for that learning and knowing how urgent it is. And then I think, you know, just sort of adapting to not being judgmental about where we are, not assuming we know the answer, but being willing to explore it. Angela's been like, it's an experiment. It's like a lab, you know, we're going to learn. We're not going to assume. Now you're the HR leadership has a whole list of jobs and openings that are non-location dependent and a whole list that are location dependent. That flexibility of mindset is going to give us a lot of opportunities. Every single firm I talk to talks about the, how many open positions they have. And that's true of every single industry right now. I think it's going to be a little bit of a wild ride, but I think Angela's bringing some really great perspective to attracting people in new ways. Angela, you alluded to this but you, Shepley Bullfinch, decided to stay to maintain a hybrid working environment. Can you talk about whether this was a tough decision to make or just something that seemed natural? We talked about this a lot. I mean, it's, it's something that affects everybody. So it was really important to hear all the voices. So I wouldn't say that it was an easy decision, but it's one that we made deliberately. And it's really predicated on the fact that we, we heard a lot from our community about how much they appreciated aspects of being able to have flexibility around where they are and still wanted to stay connected to Shepley. Even looking back a couple of years before the pandemic, there was a desire to do that. But it was much harder then to imagine actually turning it into reality because the status quo was so strong. One of the, the positive things that has come out of the last two years is that we have been pushed by those circumstances into really needing to deal with those requests and those opportunities. The last couple of years have been a catalyst of just have, have just jump-started us across that divide that we were facing. So now we're excited about experimenting and figuring out how to do this in a way that really works for everybody. Because again, you know, we're a we're a community of really wide range, right? We have we have folks who are just straight out of you know graduating. And then we have people who've been doing this for 35 years, and we all have a very different background of how we learned and how we learned how to manage, how we learned how to do our jobs. And so adapting, changing is something that we'll really need to pay attention to so that everybody has an experience that is fulfilling. 
when we first had a Phoenix office and then a Houston office and then a Hartford office, we would have firm-wide meetings or we would have our quarterly meetings or leadership meetings. And the people that were on the video conference screen in the, in the big conference room were maybe five people and the people in the room might've been in our leadership group, like eight people. And so the people on the screen never felt like they were in the meeting. They always felt like an other and like not part of the conversation and not part of the sidebar and the audio was okay. And, you know, we worked hard on that, but we definitely felt like we were pockets of people that we were trying to figure out how to connect together better. It's remarkable to look back on now how, you know, we have a town hall now every other week or Angela has firm wide meetings or firm wide announcements. It feels so inclusive. We feel like a we in a way that we were not, you know, we would, I mean, Angela <laughs> talked about it relentlessly. You know, it's not working. You have to try different things. Being able to meet in an equitable place virtually, regardless of location, has been such a, a kind of community culture builder for Shepley. And then be able to go to breakout groups and have small discussions that I feel like we've been given some remarkable gifts with the technologies we're using. We haven't fully assimilated them. You know, I feel like we are catapulted to the future. We're still trying to get our bearings a little bit, but there's some remarkable opportunities that it offers. I'm sure there's some psychologist that's going to look at why people want it to go back. There's some sort of psychological healing of like, oh, I would just feel comfortable and successful like I used to if we went back to the way I used to work. But I don't think that's an option. You can only live forward. Understanding that not everyone is as comfortable and some people really do need to be in community. And, you know, the people that go into our offices all the time do so as much for personal reasons. You know, they live alone or they need community or they live in a small apartment or they have a lot of roommates. We've said, use the offices as much as you need to, as much as you want to. Now, what's the reason we need to come together in person and how do we make that really rich? I was remembering, Angela, we had these video phones when we first had Phoenix. So you would be on a phone call and you could see someone and it made that conversation so much better. And then we had a couple people in California, a person in California and a person in um, Salt Lake City. And we're like, okay, they're way, on the, way out on the edges. Are they doing okay? We were so worried about them thriving. And now there's people all over the place. <laughs> in many ways, it's healthier. I remember you know, I was a young mom at Shepley and we had to ask for all sorts of flexibility and permission. And you were a little bit like, I don't really need to tell you how complicated this is. I'll just meet you at the plane. <laughs> like, you don't even know what I'm trying to juggle here. <laughs> and now people can say, okay, I'm going to jump off this call and meet the school bus. I'll be right back. You know, so I think there's a humanity that's coming out of the last 18 months that I think is really welcome. That's one positive from these past times. And as we head into the new year, Angela, what, are, what issues are on top of your mind? Well, it's, it's really um, following our strategic plan that, that we rolled out 18 months ago now. What we found was that it actually had all the earmarks of what we needed to do for this new era, for this new world. There, there are actually four pillars. So one is, is really about exploring and empowering. So that's about learning and therefore empowering people. One is about innovation. It's, it's really about also giving vehicles for people to bring ideas to the firm and take that and actually leverage that into new ways of doing things and to doing things better. 
Another one is about adapting and growing. That's the one that probably resonated uh, so much with, with the situation we found our way as ourselves in. And that's about adapting how we do work. It's about growing in ways that aren't just physically growing in terms of revenue and people, but also growing in the kinds of things that we take on, geographically growing and adapting how we work with each other. And then finally, our engage and impact and engage is really about connecting to communities, really focusing on diversity and equity, and also focusing on sustainability. Those are really important elements to actually creating a healthy place for all of us. And we, we call it healthy people, healthy planet. And so there are external pieces, obviously, there's um, continuing to figure out how to adapt to the marketplace, how to, how to take that hybrid environment and connect it to our clients. Volatile markets, it's already making things challenging, but I think it's going to go even further than that. So I think that's something that we'll all need to think about as it relates to not only how we deliver our work, but how it relates to even financial pressure on our, on our clients and us. Um, inflation is going to be a big piece of that. Internally, I think it's really about making us stronger, making us better. It's about recruiting. It's about retaining and it's, it's about learning and teaching and learning. One of the really exciting platforms that um, we're just in beta mode on is a, a learning platform that we've rolled out. It's really based on peer-to-peer -peer teaching and learning about leveraging that, that expertise and experience that you have and figuring out how to teach those that don't have that and then doing the reverse of things that you know, new graduates bring out of school and new ideas and understanding the world in a different way and being able to bring that back to people who are learning how to deal with that. And then continuing to make sure that all of our offices and individuals and everybody all over the country are, are staying connected. Is that internal to the company? And was that recently developed um, in the, with the advances of technology that we have from the pandemic or was it pre-pandemic in the works? It was a pre-pandemic. Actually, it's, it's a big piece of trajectory. We call it bird feeder because we're all bullfinches. So <laughs> we have a little bit of, a, of an avian theme going on here sometimes. And yes, it was, it's one of the key initiatives of one of our strategic pillars, Learn and Empower. It's about finding ways to not just rely on project work or happenstance mentoring that happens, but making a concerted effort to, to make sure people get what they need in order to grow in their careers. One of the most exciting things actually about it is that it's an individualized learning program. So we actually have learning advisors that will work with individuals to figure out what things are, are available to them to be able to get them ready for their next career steps. It's not like, you know, a traditional curriculum where everybody has to do the same thing. It's absolutely about what everybody individually needs. That's the future. We're all so different. It's diversity on so many levels. It's an equity on so many levels. And it's so what do people need to learn in order to be able to participate? What are they missing? It's recognizing that and not trying to treat each and every one of us the same, but figuring out what each and every one of us needs to be successful. To me, that's the cornerstone. Carol, as you have mentioned, you first became CEO and president in 2004. What changes have you noticed between the start and the end of your tenure as CEO in terms of in terms of the role itself and the responsibilities that come with it? And then also because it's still rare in the profession, has its perception changed about being a female CEO in architecture? What's changed is just the 
the variety of topics and issues that architects are interested in. You know, I felt like maybe when I first came into the leadership role, but also when I first joined the firm, I feel like architecture profession was pretty straightforward. Like architects built buildings and didn't sort of get too far outside of what that is. And I think issues of, you know, sort of environment and diversity and climate change and social and cultural and contextual topics have become much poor, more part of the dialogue. And so Angela and I just worked on a project at the University of Houston Law School. And it was just so interesting to hear them talk about the role and impact they're going to have on their community and how they're, you know, it's not just about educating lawyers or, you know, sort of graduating students, but seeing that there's a larger mission and a larger role that you can have. I always felt like architects stayed kind of in their lane, maybe in the 90s. You know, like, this is our lane. We're just going to keep driving in our lane. Anything that's not in our lane belongs to somebody else, you know? And so there were the renegades in our firm in those eras that were like, no, 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 building science is really important. <laughs> no, 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 the environment's really important, you know? So, so now it feels like all of those topics are cracked wide open and it's more about figuring out how to truly have an impact. Angela's been talking a lot about what are the metrics that we're going to know are making progress? How are we going to kind of really understand that rather than just passionately talking about it. That's, you know, another aspect of research that Angela brings is how do we look at the work we've done and understand, like one of the questions interesting to me is how are we going to know that we created an inclusive brand new law school? Are the students going to feel welcome, like they really belong there? How are we going to do the research that we actually know what worked and what didn't work? And I think sometimes architects, you, you live on a lot of assumptions and ideas about what will be successful, but I think we're going to have to be much more proactive about deeply understanding it. And we've even heard from students say, yeah, I never felt welcome in that building. Okay, let's really unpack that. What does that mean? There's many answers to that question. There's many answers to why people feel welcome and included and engaged in their community. But I think, you know, I always joke whenever anyone asks me, like, what's it like to be a woman architect? I'm like, well, I've always been a woman. So, you know, I really don't know what it's like to be something different. But I will say when I first joined the large room roundtable, I was the only woman in the room. You know, Marilyn Taylor had been there for a year and then she went to Penn. And it was a long time before there was another woman. Now there's, I think, 9, 10, 11. It almost feels like every firm that is doing a leadership transition is transitioning to women leaders. So that's been really exciting and building relationships with those people and helping them understand how other, other leaders can be helpful to them. So now it feels like it's just part of the equation. This, this sort of trickier thing is the things that like equity by design have identified is it's not universal across the country. There are certain parts of the, the country where the firms are quite diverse in gender and race and inclusive and really talking about this and committed to it. And then there are others that are just not really there. And I don't know that they're looking at themselves quite as critically yet. I think the last 18 months have opened up the conversation but do they understand why people are leaving their firm? Or you might've hired a really diverse group of people coming out of school, why didn't they stay? And I think there's a link there back to what Angela talked about in Bird Feeder where you know, younger architects will come to me and say, why should I stay at Shepley Bullfinch? <laughs> and I'm like, well, are you learning? Yes, you know, what, what's the next thing for you? How can we help you grow? We're committed. Can you understand that we're committed to you? There's a linkage there that's gonna be important. And I think the firms that don't see diversity in their leadership have maybe have things to learn about what that pathway or pipeline looks like or what level of commitment people need to, employees need to feel from them 
that's the challenge for each organization. A lot of the things that are in the strategic plan were more about maybe the era of millennials changing jobs a lot. Well, I think they were changing jobs because they were looking for something important, not because they were just flip about their career. I think they were ambitious and not very patient. And so if the firm wasn't talking to them about their future, they'd be like, well, you know, it's a big world out there. I'll go find it someplace else. So I think people are colleagues knowing that we're committed to their growth is really important. But I think it's also like layers of an onion. You know, the, the world changes so quickly. I'm excited about the next, you know, decade where every organization on the planet is going to have to think about how this experience changed them. It happened to all of us all over the world. That's a lot of opportunity for designers to create new environments and to really think differently about the future or to think differently about the health, the way a healthcare environment is constructed. And I always feel like change is really good for design. What is your advice for listeners wanting to advance into management and leadership positions? There are kind of three things. One is be yourself, be true to yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to change into what other people think you should be, but learn about your strengths and figure out how to use them and not overuse them. Think about others and what they need to be successful. That's probably the most important thing that I have learned. And that is really think about what others need from you in order to be successful. Because as a leader, it is no longer about you. It's about everybody else. And then finally, I think one of the things that we couldn't make any advances without and you can't get ahead of everything is exploring. Be curious, explore, figure out why things aren't working, how they can be better and how others can help you make them better. Thank you, Angela and Carol. I agree with Angela. I also think it's that when you have a question or an idea about changing something or making it better, don't just have that conversation with yourself or your peers. You know, I think seek out the leaders in your firm and ask them, say, I, you know, I'm really interested in this and unpack that. Don't be afraid to build relationships with people at all levels of the firm. You know, some of this started for me that I started in the mailroom in 1986. And like the mail was like where all the cool stuff happened. Like you've just been awarded a project or we're inviting you to propose on a project or the bad stuff. Like we're not happy with you and we're putting it in writing. I would actually read all the mail. And I also had to help the principals carry their boards and models. And, you know, I would drive them to the, an interview or a presentation and I got to know them as people. And I think that's the piece where if you get to know people as people and continue to focus on learning and contributing to, you know, sort of your team or your larger the larger organization, you're just going to innately continue to grow. The people that think there's a specific way it's going to happen and someone else has a plan for your life and you just have to fit into it, it that's incredibly frustrating because it doesn't, it's not fulfilling. But I think, you know, I think there's a construct where when you go to school and there are all these required classes, I was like, why are there so many required classes? Why can't I just go learn where I want to learn? You know, and I think some folks finish school and think they're requirements in a firm. And there are some, but a lot of it's be about being curious. And a lot of it's about being a great collaborator and open to looking at problems differently and challenging both yourself, but also the organization around you in a, in a really positive way. So I, I'm the eternal optimist, but I also think the people that wanted to become leaders that maybe didn't thought it was someone else's responsibility to make them a leader as opposed to owning it themselves. How do you perceive if someone is, wants to be more proactive and actually approach you about 
getting more leadership opportunities that they might not have been assigned per se, but, you know, do you think they should take more initiative then? And what would you feel about someone approaching you with, with that request? Well, I would love that. I mean, those are my favorite things when somebody comes with an idea and, and this is how some of the best initiatives in our firm have actually come to be. I still remember a town hall at some point where somebody asked and said, so, well, so who's, who's the firm? And I said, you're the firm. You're the ones who can make things happen. And I think two weeks later, we had two folks come and make a suggestion for actually creating a workshop around figuring out how we could do things better. And out of that grew a whole new business model, if you will. And, and it was amazing how that came from just, you know, that conversation and people taking a chance. I remember them coming to me saying, so we have this idea. And I said, well, just go talk to Carol. And, and, and it'll happen. It's, it's so important to, to not just, it's not for the visibility. It's just also for just, again, being true to your ideas and bringing them forward and for us to listen. We can never forget to listen. The most important thing is to be open to that and to really pay attention to the great ideas that are coming out um, when people get invested and excited. Thank you for listening to the Architect Podcast Network. This episode was produced by me, Wanda Lau. For more of our design, technology, and practice coverage, visit us at architectmagazine.com.